Hey, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pint Size Stories. I'm your host, Justin Salinas. So for any first-time listeners, this is a podcast where I have a guest over for a pint of homebrew or craft beer and have them tell their favorite true personal story. It can be of any theme they like and from any point in their life too. After their story, we'll chat about different things such as why the story was important to them and what kind of impact the story had on who they are. All of this over a pint of tasty beer. For this episode, I'm joined by the super awesome Lauren Allen. Let's get to it. Okay, so I'm here with Lauren. Lauren, how's it going? Going good. How are you? Doing really well. I uh, had a nice, uh, what's day, Wednesday? Yeah, a good, uh, good Wednesday. Uh, nice and sunny out and uh, kind of just work went by quick. Uh, yeah, so it's been going all right. Uh, so you want to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Maybe give a little context uh, to the story and just so they can uh, learn a little bit about you? Sure. Um, so I am a teacher and I've been a teacher for a while and I love doing outdoorsy things like running or rock climbing mm-hmm. and I love traveling and I look for any way I can get around yeah that way awesome that's good what you might be having a little bit of trouble with right now the whole getting around thing yes. with your knee injury but I'm, I'm glad that it's uh, moving in the right right direction so that's good to hear cool uh, so today we are drinking uh, Sierra Nevada's Otra Vez uh, which means again in Spanish um uh, 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 which is a Goza-style ale, and this one is brewed with cactus and grapefruit, which are not the most common ingredients you see in beer, uh, cactus and grapefruit. I I would say I don't get a lot of cactus and grapefruit in this beer. Uh, it's uh, The flavor doesn't really come through. It might be more of a marketing thing that they add it. And, um, but uh, it's it's an interesting style of beer, goes the Goza style. It's actually an old German beer style uh, with like half of the, the grains is actually wheat. So it's like nice and cloudy and it's uh, got a little bit of a, th- a tiny bit of a thicker body. Uh, and it's usually brewed with like coriander seeds and like actually brewed with like salt, like straight up actual salt, which helps give it like that like little tart, kind of like tart sourness to it. Uh, and they put a little bit of lactic acid too to add to that little like acidic kind of tartness, uh, which is um, it's a it's an interesting style of beer. I haven't brewed one yet. I plan to eventually brew one. Uh, there, uh, it's a style that's like uh, gotten popular for for a while and then like died out and like just completely forgotten about. And then will somehow magically come back to the the like the beer world. And now it's probably coming back in like one of the strongest forms. Like it's, I mean, I, a six pack of it and over like one of the biggest breweries in the U.S. is making it. So it's they're definitely really popular right now. But um, yeah, this one is uh, this one's pretty a little bit less on the tart side, I would say. All right, right. Um, usually, though, some some of the ones I've had are just like punch you in the face with salt and like tartness. Uh, so this one's a little bit softer, which is uh, I think it's better. I guess I feel like it's better that way. I kind of feel like it tastes like a Bud Light with lime, <laughs> which I'm embarrassed I used to like those a lot. So... Hey, we, we all have to start somewhere. <laughs> I, I, at one point in my in my beer drinking 
career, if I can use that word, career, uh, uh, had had Bud Light in line before. I never liked. They were they were weird to me. But yeah, I can I can yeah. sort of see I can see that like salty, uh, salty like limey. tart yeah yeah limey kind of feel. Yeah, I can see how that can like make sense for this beer. And it's a little extra carbonated. I felt the mm. need to burp immediately, which I'm trying <laughs> not to do, but. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, if you want a burp and you want something that's like a more expensive Bud Light <laughs> with lime, this is your beer. Yeah. I would yeah. Say. There you go, guys. So if, if you like Bud Light lime, but you want that craft beer style on your on your beer label, get the uh, Sierra Nevada otra vez. Uh, cool. Well, uh, so uh, Lauren is a moth finalist. Uh, which moth is like competitive storytelling, essentially. Um, and so I wanted to invite you on to uh, tell a story. So you uh, wanna you wanna hop into it? Sure. Cool. I'll do my best. Mm-hmm. Um, so this story happened in around 2010, I think, and I was traveling in Turkey by myself after uh, a teaching stint in the Republic of Georgia in the their capital Tbilisi. So I went to Turkey without too many plans. Um, but I knew I didn't have very much money, so I looked on workaway.com or workaway.info, and I found that you can go travel from hostel to hostel, and if you work for them and you cook for them, and you make beds and do cleaning, then they'll let you stay for free. Oh, there you go. So that's what I did in, um, so the first hostel I went to was in Patara, which I was attracted to because it was a beautiful uh, oceanside haven for turtles. And that sounded great, but it was January, so there were no turtles. Oh, not exactly the turtle season. Yeah, and there were any. There wasn't a single other person staying at the hostel, so I was in this creepy kind of haunted hostel by the sea, and uh, the owners didn't speak any English, so um, there was constant miscommunications, and they didn't think I was cleaning well oh. enough, and oh, no. um, accused me of eating too much bread and cheese and olives, which is really <laughs> embarrassing. So that, that didn't go so well. Um, but I eventually went to another hostel in Fetier, which was beautiful. And it was run by a really cheerful guy named Omar, who was great. And I um, and they, they were actually guests staying at the hostel. So it was less haunted feeling. Uh, and I was hoping to run a marathon um, pretty soon in, in America. So I, I was I would go on really long runs after I was finished making up beds every day. And uh, one morning I was about to go out on my run and I told Omar, I'm going to try to run all the way to Uldenez, you know, so if I'm not back by nightfall, nightfall search for my body, haha. <laughs> he was like, okay, Lauren, you're so funny. And I went out on my run and it was on a, it was on a trail. And a couple miles into the run, I came to this abandoned village uh, because in the early 1900s, all of the Christians that lived in Turkey were forced to move to Greece, and all the Muslims in Greece were forced to move to Turkey. So mm. they have villages all over Turkey that are just completely abandoned. And, um, you know, it was a fortified town, um, so there were lots of walls, and I really quickly became lost, and then I became a little bit paranoid and panicky too mm-hmm. because I got turned around and I heard voices and I wasn't quite sure who was oh, there. No. Um, so I ended up, you know, jumping over a wall and cutting up my um, knee and my hands. And then, you know, this man that had startled me came up and he was a real person. He wasn't a ghost. <laughs> and so I asked, you know, how do I get to Uldenez? Because it's, um, you know, I, I had gotten so turned around. I didn't even know where the trail was anymore at this point. And so he, he said, follow me. And I thought, okay, I'm 
following this strange man in the middle of nowhere. This Nothing can go wrong. Um, so I followed him into the woods a good way. And then he pointed out this trail that was marked with red blazes. And he said, you know, no left, no right, just straight. And I was like, all right. So that that works. So I, I followed the trail and I was, I was running and I ran quite a few miles and I was thinking, okay, well, I know that Uldenez is only supposed to be about 13 miles away from um, where I started. And so I must be getting closer by now. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I realized I had actually not seen a blaze in quite a while. And so I tried to go backwards and find the last red blaze. And I realized there was red lichen on the trees. And I might not have been following blazes at all for the last few miles. Um, so, and at this point I was getting pretty thirsty and tired. Um, and it was also January in Turkey and it gets, although during the day it's around 50 degrees at night, it gets below freezing. And all I had wow. were my, um, I was wearing spandex tights and a long sleeve shirt, but it was thin. So I was getting pretty nervous. Um, and then I found something that looked like a trail. So I took the took the trail and um, thought that uh, maybe this will lead me down to the the sea and I can just follow that to Uldenez. Mm. Uh, and it became increasingly treacherous and I'm climbing down pretty steep boulders and having to do a lot of scrambling. Um, and then I realized that the trail was not actually going anywhere. It was just a place from which people came up from their boats um, and camped and then would go back to their boats and no it didn't actually yeah. didn't actually lead to Uldenez at all. Um, and so the sun was going down and it was getting really cold um, and I was so dehydrated and tired at this point that when I was trying to pull myself out um, of the boulders that were by the seashore I was I was falling and scraping myself up a lot. Um, so I decided that rather than try to hike out um, by myself at night, which seemed really dangerous because um, of all the scrambling, I should just uh, camp by the water and hope that a boat would pass by and somebody would help me. Um, so I, um, because it was really, really cold, I tried to make myself a shelter. So I found a dead tree and I, I ripped it apart um, and made kind of a nest from its branches. And I stuffed that full of grass. And then I stuffed my shirt and my pants full of grass and um, started to try to do lots of sit-ups to stay warm because I mm-hmm. got really, really cold and I was shivering uncontrollably and the sun was going down. And I found this wall that was um, kind of created an echo effect. So I would go there and scream, help! Um, But that got to be really scary because it was echoing. So um, instead I figured, you know, people here don't really speak English anyway and nobody's gonna make fun of me. So I just started screaming like, marshmallows, bunnies! (laughs) Because that was less scary to be thinking, you know, like I'm alone in the Turkish wilderness and it's freezing and I'm really, really thirsty. so, and uh, I also just thought a lot about my family and that this would be a really stupid way to die. Um, and I also felt a tremendous sense of gratitude because I had recently, um, I was estranged from a family member for mm. a while and I had recently began um, talking to that person again. And so at least I had that comforting me was that, you know, if I died, that person doesn't think I hate them and we have a relationship again. Mm, So that was a little bit of comfort. Um, And then I would get scared and go yell marshmallows again. And that would that would help. 
Um, and somehow I made it through through the night with a lot of um, sit-ups and lots of grass um, stuffed inside. Uh, and then it was it was day, and I was really I couldn't wait for the sun to pop up over the cliffs that I was in because it still stayed really really cold even after the sun was up. Um, and I tried to hike out as soon as the sun shone enough that I could see uh, that I was falling down again and scraping myself up. And so I thought maybe it's not the best idea to hike out right now. And mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, from my training in Outward Bound, you know, a lot of people die by going in circles or falling off of cliffs or something in these situations. Whoa. And I, I thought that since I'm by the sea and I had told Omar where I was going, I had a pretty good chance that somebody would find me and, mm-hmm. and help me. Um, but, you know, the sun rose to its highest point. So I decided, I thought that it was probably around noon and, um, I started to really despair and think nobody's going to come. And I, um, started trying to make a better shelter and make it warmer for myself. And every few minutes I would go to the cliff and yell marshmallows. Um, and it, the sun started to descend oh, gosh. <laughs> and it started to feel really, really scared. Uh-huh. And I was trying really hard not to cry because I was so dehydrated. Um, and then I yelled, help marshmallows. And I heard Lauren <laughs> <laughs> and it was so great. I thought I was crazy. So I kept yelling and, um, Unfortunately, as I tried to move towards the voice, I couldn't hear it so well because the the cliff was also allowing it to uh, reflect the voice back to me. But eventually, we kind of Marco Poloed our way um, and found each other, and it was Omar. Um, and yeah, so he he came out to get me, and uh, he used to lead hiking trips in that area, so he had a pretty good idea of where I might be. Um, and I'm so grateful to him. And he came with he brought water and um, apples to you know help me perk up again mm-hmm. um and help me get out of there and it, he was amazing but that's that's one thing that's a little scary about hiking in uh foreign countries too is in america you kind of have this naivety of if i get lost in a park eventually the park rangers are going to come yeah, the police or, is going to know mm-hmm. and in foreign countries it's not necessarily that that's not necessarily the case yeah it's not, <laughs> that's not guaranteed that can happen yeah yeah i was so yeah, that's wow, that is so crazy. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that that joke that you had made, did you like regret making that when uh, me? You're like, oh yeah, by nightfall I come back, <laughs> you know, yeah. like come find me. Um, yeah, I would imagine that that felt uh, a lot different looking back. I think I'm glad I made that joke because maybe that made him more concerned about me oh. earlier, um, whereas he might have just assumed that I was out partying or something Yeah, because I said I was running. And oh, yeah. So maybe it did work out. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, do you think you like legitimately got hypothermia at, like, at night when it went below freezing? Like, you Are you pretty sure about that? Or? Yeah, the, the early stages, I um, you know, was shivering uncontrollably I didn't get to the point where I stopped shivering but then when I returned to the hostel it took a really long time for me to warm up again Um, so I was just under a lot of blankets and uh, drinking uh, really sweet yeah getting all your (laughs) things yeah tea with lots and lots of sugar and Uh um, and trying to get that but it it took me a really long time to get warm again Mm -hmm. Um, so and you and when you're out there you didn't have anything to drink any anything to eat for that entire time you're out mm-hmm. oh my god for a, what is that uh almost 24 hours then about uh 
breakfast that morning, but yeah, it ended up being over 24 hours. Yeah. Oh my gosh. mm -hmm. Oh, that sounds really tough. But it got me interested in, you know, what you actually can survive. And, you know, I saw that even though I was so thirsty, I thought about drinking my pee and I was so hungry, you know, I, I had stabbing pains, but you know, the human body is capable of a lot more than we give it credit for. Yes. Um, and so that's what motivated me to do a outdoor survival course. And, um, I found when I, when I did uh, Boulder Outdoor Survival School in Utah, we went three days without eating. And I think um, that I was much more disoriented and sick on that course than I was in Turkey. And so I probably could have hiked out with, my, um, with the conditions the way they were, just because I now have a better appreciation for just how hungry and thirsty you can get mm-hmm. and still function. Um, yeah. So, uh, I bet you were pretty happy then that you had taken that course and like had some, you know, experience with what you were dealing with then. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, the, the, the experience in Turkey motivated me to take the survival course. Oh, yeah. it wasn't the other way around. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Wow. I totally got that confused. Yeah. yeah. My, wow. My apologies. Yeah. I, I guess I'd heard a, a reference to, um, to some hiking thing and yeah, I guess I got that confused. Yeah. Okay. Then that definitely would motivate you to, to, uh, take a course like that. That absolutely makes sense. Um, so, uh, you had mentioned that you thought that you would confuse like the red, uh, lichen for the, uh, for like the signals of where the path was, mm-hmm. like how far down the path did you make that realization? Was that like pretty quick that you thought you had confused it or is it, um, like way towards the end that you felt like you'd been following the red lichen for like way too long and following, you know, not a real path? Yeah, I think I was following the lichen for a really long time because the sun started going down. So it was, I don't know what I, how I could have let so much time go without realizing it, but I didn't have, you know, electronics. I wasn't keeping track of time. And that was just a terrifying feeling when I realized, I think I've been following lichen for a really, really long time and I have no idea where I am. Yeah, that moment when you like realized, did you like go and like touch it and realize it wasn't what you thought or... Yeah, well, I just went back and it was definitely, definitely lichen. <laughs> and I, I had, so I, I was along the sea the whole time. So I thought that it would just be easy to, you know, orient and know like, okay, this way's west and I can just go back this way. But the terrain was really, really treacherous. And I wasn't sure that I could find a way to hike, even if I knew the direction that I could hike without falling off um, a cliff because it was just cliffs and boulders and jagged yeah. edges everywhere. Yeah, and you fall on that stuff. I mean, you're super easily break bones. You know, yeah. just sprain ankles and stuff. Where you'll like just be immobilized essentially if, if with stuff like that, mm-hmm. which is like really scary. So it's probably good that you would just like, all right, I'm gonna wait here until sunlight instead of trying to scramble and stuff up mm-hmm. uh, boulders at night. That sounds, oy, that sounds really scary. Mm-hmm. Um, so. You had mentioned a, a point that uh, about dying that mm-hmm. at that for, at that point. Um, did you legitimately think that was a possibility? Like uh, for a while, like did you think that you wouldn't and uh, you wouldn't get rescued or anything like that, or wouldn't make it back? Like how how serious did you think of that? Oh my God, this is like a potential to die here. Uh, it was at first. I think it was paranoia, but then it seemed more realistic as I became more and more dehydrated. Mm-hmm. But I think that your brain becomes more um, obsessive. You know, the worse your physical condition is, the more obsessive you become. So I, you know, at first I thought, oh, I'm just being paranoid. And then as I started to feel really, really cold and feel really, really thirsty, then I started to think I could, I could die here. And also, you know, I'm in the middle of a country that um, I don't necessarily fit in 
very well with the culture. So I don't necessarily want to be found by some, some people too. So mm-hmm. it's, um, I wasn't, you know, I was wearing my spandex and whatnot. So I didn't, it was just a scary. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Imagine. Yeah. Um, and that, that like point that like one moment when you heard, uh, his voice like say Lauren mm-hmm. like was it just like the stars are in the sky like you were just like the happiest like you realize like oh my god this is I'm gonna be okay like yeah how did that feel it felt amazing at first and then I became nervous that I had just imagined it in my head so oh <laughs> but wow. it felt great when I finally saw him I felt like this crippling anxiety even as we were Marco Poloing and yelling at each other I still felt like I couldn't believe that he was actually there until I saw him because I had kind of given up hope. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that is so. Oh wow. And did uh, did you end up heading back home uh, pretty soon after that? After like that whole you know that uh, that experience that you just told the story about? Uh, no, I'm still in Turkey for a couple more weeks after that, and Omar even arranged for me to um, stay with a hostel that he knew of in Cappadocia, and he arranged for me to have like an amazing hot air balloon ride over the crazy Flintstone-like rock formations they have there. Oh, man. So, wow. yeah. So you still like, it wasn't just, it wasn't like a bad experience, and then like, you know what, I need to leave this country. Like, you still stuck around and had a really good time then. I left around, I mean, I left that experience feeling really grateful to be alive and mm. um, incredibly grateful to Omar. Um, I think a lot of times being a single woman traveling uh, alo- alone in a foreign country can be really scary. And I ha- had been hassled by men and touched inappropriately by men, but um, being treated with so much kindness and respect by Omar really made me see that, you know, most Turkish people are really, really nice and really want to help you and that you shouldn't let, you know, just a couple bad experiences with people have a bad impression of of the whole country. And, yeah. and that's what I found is that, you know, 95% of you know men I talked to were really nice and really did want mm-hmm. to help. Um, and so it really made me feel much more positive about the country as a whole, mm-hmm. having that experience. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's like the extremists are like for you know for um, you know, the 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 five percent that are crappy. Uh, those experiences like scream so much louder and are so much can be so much more impactful in a negative way that it can I can imagine that like definitely make you feel like oh man is anyone going to be nice here or anything like that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, so that's so cool that he was able to to help you in that and like I guess I mean. Uh, quite frankly, like almost helped like save your life. I mean, you're, mm-hmm. that's a definitely like a, a really, really risky situation. So yeah, I'm so glad that worked out. Like one of, I saw some of the stories I'm like, oh, wow, I'm really, you know, I, I tell people like, I'm glad that worked out. But like, I mean, you like literally like you could have, yeah, you could have passed away. That is really, really scary. So uh, wow, that's fascinating. Um, Lauren, I want to thank you so much for coming to tell your story. Um, yeah, I, uh, and good luck at the, uh, at the finals for Story Slam for the, for the Moth. I know that's coming up uh, in a while, so good luck in San Francisco. Thank you. Yeah. All right, guys, thanks for listening. Have a good one. Huge thanks again to Lauren for sharing her hiking story. I can only imagine how frightening that experience must have been, and I'm glad she was okay in the end. Tune in next Tuesday at 6 p.m. Pacific time for another pint and another story. Thanks for listening, y'all.